Hey everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Liberation Bible Study. Welcome to a special backlog bonus episode. As you may know, we host our conversations live on More Light Presbyterian's Facebook page on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. We started going live on Facebook just one week into our COVID-19 lockdown in March of 2020, but I never released those episodes on the podcast with everything else going on. However, I want to make sure those conversations are included in the podcast too. So I'll be releasing a bonus episode of content recorded the same week just one year ago. While some of the context may have shifted, the liberation possibilities from scripture remain the same. Please enjoy. everybody. I am so excited to welcome you to Liberation Bible Study. This is the place where we reconnect to the deep roots of resistance and liberation that biblical texts offer. I am your host of this space, Alex Patton McNeil. And in this Bible study, we feature conversation partners who bring an intersection of identities as LGBTQIA plus folks, people of color, activists, theologians, and pastors. Today, we are continuing our interactive conversation like we did last week to include those of you who are tuning in on Facebook. Hello. Um, I know that the past few weeks have been extremely taxing for all of us uh, as we've been navigating uncertain waters of systems change and upheaval. So we hope that today's conversation can offer you a moment of respite and reconnection and a space of spiritual nourishment uh, to fuel your well of resilience. So we have another exciting event that yesterday was Transgender Day of Visibility, which is a day for people to show their support for the trans community and for trans folks to uh, make, their self, make themselves known, be visible um, and celebrated for that. Trans Day of Visibility uh, aims to bring attention to the accomplishments of trans people around the globe while fighting cis sexism and transphobia by spreading knowledge of the trans community. And Trans Day of Visibility is not a day for mourning, it's a day for celebration and empowerment and recognition of the many things that trans folks offer just by being who we are. And so this week, I'm really honored that I get to actually talk to two of my trans heroes who have paved a path and continue to make a world where all trans folks can thrive. And for today's episode, I am so delighted to have with me Reverend Dr. Justin Sabiatanis. Justin has been writing groundbreaking books and articles and thinking theologically about queer and transgender faith for the past two decades. And I would definitely call you a pioneer and ongoing explorer for trans visibility and inclusion and liberation. So Justin, like what a delight to have you with us today. Thank you, Alex. It's great to be here. Um, and for today's conversation, we are going to be exploring the text that's on deck for this Sunday. Um, it is Palm Sunday in many of our Christian traditions. And so we are going to be reading the lectionary text of Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, through the theme of visibility. And so I'm excited to get into that with you. But first, I'd love for us to introduce ourselves. And so... Justin, will you please uh, introduce yourself more fully with your pronoun, your work, and your identities, because we know that those are always with us when we read biblical texts. The city was doing a test of the air raid sirens, which they do on the first of the tornado sirens. That's just what we need is trying to drown that out in the background. So ah, all is well. Uh, so I'm Justin Saviatanis. I'm an assistant professor and the director of the Social Transformation Program at Ecological Seminary of the Twin Cities. I'm here in beautiful, just starting to be spring, uh, Minnesota, but lasts. Um, so, yay. Um, so my pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm a queer transgender man. I'm white, striving to be anti-racist in, in all that I do and in, in all the ways that I can dismantle white supremacy. Uh, but that is my social location and um, uh, and also that of a, a religion nerd and seminary professor. So, And I'm really uh, honored and delighted to be on, on the program with you and really looking forward to our conversation, Alex. 
Thanks, Justin. I was thinking that they were testing the air raid system because two fabulous trans people got on Facebook Live and <laughs> yeah. they needed to, <laughs> to, to highlight this. Know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm Alex McNeil and my pronouns are he and him. And as I've shared before, I am a white transgender man who was born, raised, and now living back in the South. So have a context of growing up in the southeastern U.S. Um, I am now an ordained pastor and have served as an executive director of More Light Presbyterians for the past six and a half years, navigating a changing landscape of LGBTQ inclusion in congregational spaces and in our nation. Um, and kind of sea change seems to be where I tend to surf um, as, as things are in transformation and transition. and um, I think other identities that I bring in particular to this reading today is someone who loves a good parade and a spectacle. Um, and so I'm excited to dig into this text a little bit more together. So let's do just that. And um, if you are watching with us, we'd love for you to introduce yourself on the comments as well. Um, and we're going to enter the first reading of Matthew 21 uh, verses one through 21 and Justin's gonna read for us. And as we listen to the text the first time through, we're listening for what stands out to us in this passage. What do we notice that maybe we haven't before? So Justin, I will hand it over to you. Great. And when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The sovereign has need of them, and they will be sent immediately. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell this to Zion, your ruler is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their garments on them. And Jesus sat thereon. And most of the crowd spread their garments on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd that went before Jesus and that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the sovereign. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Thank you. I'm curious as you're reading through the first time, what might've stuck out to you in and hearing it again. Uh, to, to be honest, what came to me was, whoa, so many people are together, no social distancing, right? And this, uh, it, it's just really interesting to me with so many people around the world uh, locked down uh, in our own homes with our families or alone, right? That the text that we're reading is one of this tremendous ways in which um, sort of the magnetic, um, way Jesus tracked people with, uh, with his person, with his teaching, with his healing, uh, you know, that people are just drawn to that until you see this huge crowd gathering. And so I, I guess I can't help but, um, but think of this text uh, in, in that context for us and really thinking of, um, uh, uh, well, I heard William on Sunday, I listened to, tuned into his church service. You know, and he talked about how do we use this time as a time of preparation. You know, so part of what I was thinking was like, what is the preparation for when we get to gather again uh, in Jesus' name or with our loved ones or in creation or however we understand that. So like in some ways we're preparing for what the text is telling us rather than normally the way we have and live it out. Um, mm -hmm. So mm. That's interesting. And I feel like there's been a lot of conversation around the internet on the idea of like, can we even have Easter if we're not in our sanctuaries? Can we even have Easter? Um, and, and I think Palm Sunday being part of that. 
um, <laughs> walk through Holy Week if we're not able to be together. And I think as you were talking about that, the noticing of the crowd gathering, I know for myself, I was watching a show last night and there was commercials of people in big crowds. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> Even in like folks in a cubicle environment, I found myself kind of reacting to. Um, but what was interesting in, in what you were just saying to me that I hadn't thought of is, you know, it's almost the suddenness of a crowd gathering and I know in the past few weeks, I've been really mindful of online spaces where there's been a suddenness of crowd mm -hmm. gathering. And sometimes it's with folks who are already identified magnet, magnanimous like personalities. And mm -hmm. sometimes it just feels like you just capture people's attention. Right. Um, I was on like a, a concert that the Indigo Girls did on Facebook <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, okay, Justin too. Um, and there was, I think at one point, 50,000 people watching and someone asked them, what's the biggest concert you've ever done? And they said, uh, this one. Um, <laughs> and I'm just so aware of, I think what Jesus brings in Holy Week in this Palm Sunday March is such a confounding of expectations mm -hmm. around who he's supposed to be, how he's supposed to march into the city. And could we be in a bigger time of confounding expectations than right now? And, um, you know, I think it's a, it's something I'm noticing around where do I place my attention and, and who am I following in this moment that, mm -hmm. that I, I sometimes do it unawares. And I think there's a way to do it more aware. Well, and I think that was sort of my, my second or my usual noticing when I've preached on this or thought about this text in the past, you know, is of course the ways in which Jesus is saying, um, you know, he was expected to come in on a horse like a soldier. And um, um, and it is interesting that one commentator, other than the flight into Egypt as a baby, there's no stories of Jesus riding animals, right? So he's not, he walks. Uh, he chooses to ride an animal, but instead of, um, instead of a triumphant war horse, instead of, you know, marshalling the crowds in political might, of course, it, it comes in a humble way. Um, and, you know, because Matthew, as a writer, is so worried about fulfilling all the prophecies that he has this weird situation in which Jesus, at some point, appears to be riding two different sized animals. And, you know, then commentators flip themselves over backwards trying to explain how in the world Jesus managed this. I, I sort of have this idea of him, like, standing with one foot on each one. Yes, uh, he's a trick writer right, in the right, rodeo. In the rodeo. But obviously, that's not what happened. Right, so riding on this donkey in a way that flips these earthly powers. And I think... Part of what we have to remember is that that all the military might, uh, you know, no matter how much military or economic might people uh, might have, it is not saving people, right? That is not where our help will come from. Our help comes in these more humble ways of people helping one another, um, like the owners of the donkey lending the donkey to Jesus, um, right? It's more, there's more there's a barter economy. There's a the the powers of the world and answers necessarily. Um, uh, and you know, the time when the when the ways in which we protect one another is to stay apart from crowds. You know, what does it mean to think about acting in those healing ways that are different from what we normally expect? Absolutely. Yeah. One thing I noticed in your reading to me was that not just that the crowd formed, but that they were also using what was on hand, what was nearby, to make this parade route. You know palm branches and, and items of clothing and the ways in which I think that to me is, it, you know, I think also kind of flips the symbolism of like a well-planned route, you know, <laughs> like months in advance um, and this kind of community, but like the showing of community input to create this processional um, really stuck out to me because, you know, I've been thinking a bit about this in terms of the idea of visibility mm -hmm. and those of us who identify as trans like there's a moment of claiming a visible self there's the internal sense of knowing and then there's the externalizing and making it clear making it known when for many others it might not have been very visible and i think it's kind of reading these texts together with 
kind of a trans journey and Jesus's journey. Um, noticing the ways in which that's also a community effort. And I think yesterday itself, Trans Day of Visibility mm-hmm. was a community like palm fronds and like, hey, look, we, we want to celebrate you kind of sharing who you are and whatever whatever place that is, whatever iteration that is today. Um, and how I think often trans folks claiming visibility is an ultimate like upending of what's expected. Right. And the fact that you, though, this crowd makes, the crowd in the story, like we are now, makes do with what's on hand, as they say, right? So people are saying, like, it, it won't be Palm Sunday because I want to have a palm. Like, no, the Bible just says branches. Like, do you have access to any branches? Like, some people don't in urban, but in their apartment, but um, it's not that specific. And I think about the ways in which trans people uh, have often had to uh, creatively put together uh, our lives um, when there isn't the external uh, help or validation. Um, so we know what it means to use what's on hand to do that which is authentic and truthful and uh, expressive of who we are. Right. Because I think what Jesus is calling us to in in this text, or what we're being called to in this text is, I think, a real resistance to the institutionalization of forms of military might, of forms of power, of the expected ways of doing things. I think Palm Sunday and the events of Holy Week were were really churning up, and it sounds like the the whole community was churned up by this. Mm-hmm. And to me, there's a real creative possibility in that churning. Um, mm-hmm. I know I've watched ministry colleagues and others in the past few weeks, like really be churned up by what's going on in the world right now um, through COVID. But finding like what I've seen come out of that are some of the most creative expressions of their like yeah. talents and gifts and offerings to the world that I think they're sensing an invitation to really be make visible to make known um and to me that's been a really powerful part of this as what happens when we move past like i think the expected norms of our behavior or what we're supposed to be doing day to day and the kind of creative tension that arises there well and also part of what i really hope for is that we're going to come out of this um knowing better how to like um, knowing better how to uh, reach people who are isolated. Um, you know, in our communities of faith, when people are not able to come to church because they're ill, because they they um, have have physical or emotional limitations that are making it challenging at that time, uh, we're learning better how to reach people. Um, and you know, in the classroom, we're learning better how to reach students who are not able to physically be there. Uh, we've got students right now who are ready work caregivers, for example, for folks who are uh, who were. Uh, needing other assistance and you know they're able to attend class on a level with their peers that they wouldn't that normally they wouldn't otherwise be able to do so we're learning better how to reach people and i think this is really really important for trans people when we know the high rates of suicide and, and substance use to cope with discrimination other issues like that a lot of those issues are come from a feeling of isolation you know so what if we use this time in order to be able to figure out how to do something differently uh, that allows us to break down those barriers between people and allows, allows people to have that sense of gathering um, in an affirming crowd, um, whether it's virtual or real. Um, and that help, that I think helps us, you know, there's, you know, I, I had a chance to uh, uh, connect now for a couple of weeks on Zoom with some of the folks that I transitioned with back in LA in the, in the 90s um, and some folks who were mentors for us then. And, uh, you know, without this, we wouldn't have said like, chat together, you know, so I think the ways in which we're sort of uh, celebrating who we are, celebrating our ability to make connections. Um, I think we're learning some things that are going to be key to our long term well being and our understanding of what does it mean to connect with other people when it, uh, that when we are able to do it physically, we'll have a greater appreciation for that, but also hopefully we will um, no better how to connect with people who can't be with us physically. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's that's spot on. Um, and I feel like we can move into the second reading around how do we um, kind of
kind of have an understanding around how does this text call us to resistance? Because I think we're starting to get a little bit mm -hmm. into that conversation too. So um, if you're up for it, I will read us through the second time. And I pulled the version from the Common English Bible. Um, and so we'll um, read from there. So let's, let's settle in and hear where the text is calling us to resistance. When they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave two disciples a task. He said to them, go into the village over there. As soon as you enter, you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anybody says anything to you, say that God needs it. He sent them off right away. Now, this happened to fulfill what the prophet said. Say to daughter Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the donkey's offspring. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had ordered them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them. Then Jesus sat on them. Now a large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others cut palm branches off the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds in front of him and behind shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Who is this? They asked. The crowds answered, it is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. As we listen for a second time, I'm curious if something stood out to you in terms of a call to resistance. And we think of resistance in terms of resistance to empire, status quo, but also an alternate meaning of, is there something within us that we're resisting in hearing? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's an equally valid point of noticing. Well, I, I thought about this text as, as uh, what, what came to mind immediately when I saw this is what or thought about this passage actually was um, the entry into Jerusalem as a uh, as a pride parade. Um, and if I may, I want to share I want to share the image that I that we mentioned. Um, so this is by a Swedish artist named Elizabeth Olsen Wallen, and I will share it. So this shows she did, created a series uh, called Eke Homo, which uh, told the life of Jesus in uh, twelve different uh, photographs. And this one tells the story of our text for today. And you'll notice that the crowd is boisterous. It includes, includes dogs, no donkeys. Jesus is riding on a bicycle. You can see that pride flags are laid down in front of, the, in front of Jesus instead of uh, palm branches. Um, and you see the people celebrating. You see a, a couple that just got married. Um, you see clowns. You see uh, leathermen. You see all kinds of queer figures um, as part of this image. And, and here's why this spoke to me about resistance. Um, first, it's a retelling of the, queer, of the story that Jesus is gay, um, which is important. But it reminded me of the ways in which pride functions um, as a spiritual preparation to help us face the homophobia and transphobia that we face day to day, right? So the point isn't just the point is how pride changes you um, to deal with what's coming ahead. And when we talk about Jesus preparing for um, for the passion, for the, the events that are going to unfold immediately after the story and then, the, and then in the days to come, it made me think about um, what if Jesus needed to gather in this celebration for as part of his own preparation, that this contrast between this exuberant liveliness of this coming together like a pride parade um, was necessary to face the death and destruction that's, co that's coming ahead. Um, and when I was in seminary a long time ago, so in 1987, um, we went to the March on Washington, um, and then we took buses down from New England, and we'd gotten on these buses, and we stopped at one of the rest areas in New Jersey. And it just happened that I, I was on the first bus, and we were near the front of the bus. So as we're come, going in to, you know, get some food, go to the restroom, whatever, these two 
two men are walking in front of us, two big burly guys. And one says to the other, did you hear there's a whole bunch of fags coming to Washington? Like, I don't want to, that's disgusting. You know, all the sort of homophobic uh, nonsense. And they looked up and there were literally like hundreds of queer teenagers with our like rainbow flag shirts, and, you know, uh, all in this very celebrative mood because we're these overnight bu buses, right? And, you know, when this is like, when you're, you know, when you're young, like being up all night was fun still. <laughs> then, um, right, but we're, so we're all exuberant coming off these buses and these guys literally turn and like walk as fast as they could out of the building. And, you know, it was my first experience of the power of queer people in numbers um, to not, to, to make, not that I wanted people to be afraid of us, but that they, we, they perceived us as a threat rather than if I'd been alone with those two guys, I would have perceived them very much as a threat to my safety and well-being. Um, you know, that sort of overturning of things. And so I was thinking about that when, when I was thinking about this text and, um, you know, what, what did this gathering around Jesus is the preparation for acts of resistance. The, the things that we need to spiritually ground ourselves in people like us, in the ways in which Jesus was surrounded by people who believe the kind of king, kingdom, the kind of dominion of God that he was preaching and teaching about in order to uh, take the next steps. Mm. That's so powerful. I, I, in reflecting on this text earlier, I was thinking back to my first pride parade, which was in college um, when I was at University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill in the early 2000s. Um, I went to a pride parade in Durham, North Carolina, and you know, the biblical scholars talk about this crowd gathers for Jesus, but it's not the only crowd there. There's people streaming into Jerusalem for Passover. There's other activity going on. And the pride parade in Durham, you know, we had a, we had a little route. Everyone was pretty much in the march. Like you couldn't tell who was in the march and who was on the sidelines. I remember the feeling of that around, oh my gosh, look at all these people who do support queer and trans folks. Um, I had never seen such an assembly of people who were LGBT identified and people who were supportive um, in my life. It was my biggest kind of crowd moment. And so I really resonate with what you're saying around this preparation because what I took from that moment was, you know, there's a lot of stories about North Carolina being an inhospitable environment for LGBTQ folks. And that, that is true in some ways, and I took from that the knowledge that, no, there are people here who are supportive. There are people like me here, and no one could take that knowledge away, and I wonder if for Jesus in, in this Palm Sunday moment, like, no one can take away that support of his community, even as he's going to face deep questions about who he is and what his message is and what, what he understands God's vision for the world to be. But even knowing that, that there are those who would kind of process in with him and march in with him, um, I think that that is an empire-shattering moment because mm -hmm. I think our imaginations are so much a part of resistance and liberation. Well, and we're, you know, we're fed by those moments in queer norms, right, where the world as we understand it is, is reality in a different way. And... I think, you know, what does it mean for Jesus to be in a, a normative space of celebration and um, kindness and people giving away their cloaks to uh, smooth the path for others? You know, um, uh, that is the point of, of, of sustenance, right? That, that that matters in this story. Um, and that Jesus is, is seen, um, and recognized in a way that his humanity was about to be profoundly diminished, dismissed, and then extinguished, right? But he is seen and celebrated in that, that moment, and you need those. And, you know, when, when I was in Washington, D.C., uh, we had a protest. Um, we had lots of protests. Um, there still are. There's things, there's things we need to stand up against. But someone from, from the government said, you know, why are you bothering to protest? Um, uh, this was during the Bush administration. Why, why are you bothering to protest out the white, outside the White House? Like, nobody inside cares what you're saying. Um, you know, no, nobody's 
it doesn't change anything. Um, and this was someone who'd been around Washington for a long time and been part of the government. Said, you know, we don't we don't change policies. People are yelling. Um, and I said, well, that that may be, but it sure changes the people working to change the policies uh, when they're outside uh, chanting, um, because that sense that we need that sense of solidarity, we need that sense of resistance, we need that sense of witness to the fact that what's happening is not okay, right? That that we will not be quiet while injustice is taking place. Um, and you know, it's not in the it's not in the Matthew ver- version, but it's in the you know. Um, Elsewhere, the Gospels, you know, where, you know, uh, they ask Jesus to make the, the people be quiet, you know, and Jesus answers, no, even the rocks would start yelling, right? This idea that, like, all creation uh, speaks up and has this moment to speak up, and that that, that act of speaking up probably changes us, and we can't go back to the way we were. Um, you know, I can't go back to the way I was before. I went to my first, my first pride parade was in Northampton, Massachusetts. I, you know, and that, that seemed huge to me. And then I went to Boston and it went all the way around the common. And then I went to Washington DC, right? And my horizons were expanded and my sense of resistance uh, was expanded. And my sense of grief was expanded because in Washington, I saw the names project quilt, um, you know, and then my sense of commitment to other people like me through that experience was profoundly enhanced. And, uh, you know, what would it mean for Jesus, for the disciples, for the crowds to have those experiences of uh, God's dominion in microcosm um, mm-hmm. that you can't go back from. You can't go back from that. The center of that is someone saying, um, may the world on people the way the world, who the world thinks is might and strong is not the way that we in this moment are experiencing that. Um, yeah. It's really... Um, it sustains me because I realize there's places in which, you know, Jesus says elsewhere that like the dominion of God is already among you. There's places where it sort of ruptures into this world. It can't be stopped. And we experience with I think those moments of living in the beloved community are the things that sustain us. So when, when we're in a space that's truly uh, family respectful and multicultural and we're hearing each other and we're working together, you know, that's a moment of that when we're, when someone really honors and sees us as the trans person for our authentic self. And those are moments in which we, that dominion breaks into our, into our, in the way I think it does in this way this text is telling us it does, um, that you, you can't undo. Um, uh, yeah. That, as you were sharing that, I totally agree. I think it made me, it made me wonder if liberation is an act of imagining and imagination is resistance a site of memory and the importance of memory mm-hmm. and a holding um, to be able to have fuel to keep going. I think these these big protests, these big marches on DC, I was at the March for Women's Lives in like mm-hmm. 2004, I believe, um, my first big march on Washington. And I remember thinking, okay, someone from the White House is gonna come out and like see us here. Um, right. And feeling kind of disappointed in my naivete about about that, but what I've noticed in the, you know, kind of decade since that March, now decade plus, was how many people I would meet who said they were there. And like, it was a powerful touchstone for what was possible in our work together and the ways in which, you know, being in the present moment is important, the present moment of protests, but how much fuel I can gather from the memory of being somewhere, the memory of seeing that beloved Mm -hmm. community in action as something that fuels me to just even stand up and say, no, this isn't right. Um, this is a, this is injustice. Well, and I think, and I think what Jesus says next, right after this text, going into the temple, turning the money changers handle, overturning the symbols of economic power, um, restoring the religious to its rightful spiritual purpose, I think supports this reading, right? Because Jesus goes immediately from this celebration, like into, like if we're going to sustain the beloved community, we have to overturn uh, the ways in which people are being exploited. We have to overturn the idea that we, you know, even though we've changed now, the fact that it was even floated that it's more important to go back to work than it is to save people's lives, right? To me, speaks so, I mean, that passage in the, um, and and I know I'm jumping ahead in Holy Week, but forgive me. (laughs) 
but um, you know, I, I think nothing to our current to that part of our current moment, like Jesus' actions uh, in the temple, and it comes right on the heels of this story. I don't think they're separated. I think it tells us the purpose of our moving to spiritual resistance is for. Mm. Purpose Absolutely. is to create a different world order. Mm. I think that's an excellent point to move into our last reading <laughs> around a vision for liberation that this text offers. Would you like to read it through for the last time? Sure. Sure. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with it. Untie them to bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, Sovereign has need of them. They will be sent immediately. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell this to Zion. Your ruler is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their garments on them, and Jesus sat thereon. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before Jesus that, sh that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the sovereign. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. As we heard this for the third time, what vision for the work of liberation did the text offer for you, Justin? I think, I mean, first, what we talked about a little bit before, that this idea that, that God's realm does not operate according to earthly rules, you know, that this is a, this is the, a ruler, uh, but who's, who's humble, who's, you know, the, the ways of leadership, uh, spiritual leadership do not, um, what is power, what is God's economy is different. Um, but the other, you know, the other thing that just occurred to me just as I was reading this now, not what I thought about ahead of time was, you know, people are like saying, oh, who is this guy? Who just rose up? And the ways in which, um, uh, you know, we're suddenly learning life stories of people that we didn't know about. Um, uh, there's a thing that Americans now are better, can name more scientists than they were able to like a month ago, right? Where almost mm -hmm. no Americans could, na could name the name of a scientist. Um, and now people are knowing the names of science, like, you know, who are these people who are rising up? Who is, who is caring for us? Who is, um, who are the heroes? Um, who are stocking the, you know, who are the people stocking the grocery shelves? Who are, you know, um, who's doing this concert on Facebook, you know? Um, so it's, so I think there is some of this, like, discovery of seeing the world by different criteria than we had before. Um, and, uh, I think that's a um, yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon right now. And that just just it came upon me while I was looking at that text. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I I was really struck by that. You know, who is this? Reminded me of the line in Hamilton um, where Alexander Hamilton has just kind of like caused a kerfuffle, meeting his new friends, and someone says, "Yo, who the f is this?" And like <laughs> they suddenly get to know Hamilton. I think we're offered those moments a lot of, of people who kind of burst forth with a message of community, of liberation, of resistance. And I think in a earlier world order, there was the expectation you had to be someone lettered, having a PhD, having, having like a particular form of knowledge or skill or training. But I, I've seen over even the past five years, not just, not just this month, but the the who we what, who we lift up I think the story background and the and the life experience matters more than than a, than almost you know there's times when particular training matters a lot but I think um, there are prophets and teachers um, who 
are lifted up by community. And if we're dismissive of that, I think we're missing some, some deep learning. Um, I think it's interesting they call him a prophet, not other things that Jesus has said about who he is. Um, so I don't know what to make of all that, but <laughs> I just noticed it this time. Well, it just occurred to me as you were talking about too, the, the ways in which if we read that story through the lens of Matthew 25 with, of the, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. In other words, anybody in the crowd could have been, who is this? And, you know, when we think about the post-resurrection, Jesus be the body of Christ being every one of us, and Jesus is teaching in Matthew 25, what, whatever you did to the least of these, whoever that person was, you're doing this if you're doing it to Jesus themselves, then in a sense, it's a prophetic crowd as well as the prophetic person in the body of Jesus. Um, so whatever we are doing to care for others, um, it is as if we're doing them to Christ. And, and this, I've also been thinking this week about, um, I didn't, didn't bring in, didn't prep an image for it, but um, there was an artist named Juan Gonzalez who was a, a Cuban immigrant in the United States. His family was um, experienced political persecution. And uh, so Juan was gay, he in New York City, he had, and he did end up dying of AIDS. But during that, the AIDS epidemic, he got a store window in New York City and he took an image of Hans Holbein's uh, The Dead Christ in the Tomb, which is a very eerie um, image uh, from Hans Holbein the Younger, um, uh, much older work of art, which he, which was very controversial even when he made it because he took it, made an image of the, of a, he's a dead, an actual dead body as the model for Christ and people could not quite cope with that, but he's trying to, trying to talk about the the realities that Christ truly experienced, the full reality of what it meant to be human. But then next to that, he put a counter, uh, there's a memorial read of the body. Um, and in Holbein's painting, sealed as if in a car, in Gonzalez's open to the heaven. So you can sort of see the resurrection about to happen. But next to it, he put a counter of the number of people who had died of AIDS at that point, and it's X'd out and added to. And uh, for the to help people connect uh, the lives living and dying with HIV um, with the body of Christ. And I, I, so I've been thinking about that this week too, as we're moving into Holy Week, this idea of how do we people, how do we help people see that everyone around them is part of that body of Christ, is their lives, uh, what we do to protect them, uh, what we do to protect or care for or comfort the least of these we are literally doing to Jesus, according to the text. And so when they say, who is this, who is this? This is the prophet Jesus, um, in a sense that that is everyone. Mm. So, so it, you know, it in some ways narrows into those narrow little streets of Jerusalem into the very body of Jesus in its very narrow way. But at the same time, in Christian theology, it also, you know, and in the teachings of Jesus, just a little bit later, it opens up to all of us. So, mm. um, Wow. Yeah. That makes me think about what you said earlier around some of the ways the use of technology that we're that we're doing now in a more conscious way is more inclusive of people in, in terms of like a level more level playing field in some ways of people who couldn't come to a class in person or couldn't do things in person because of other circumstances um and you know when you're watching something on an online stream you know, like an Instagram dance party as I have participated in these past few weeks, um, more than I ever have before. You're one of a number, but you're all, everyone's making comments, people are hearting the thing, and it feels like you're one body almost. You're one yeah. body participating in this massive event, and it happens that this is the person DJing, but we're all kind of, if we weren't here, it wouldn't, um, yeah. it wouldn't be as massive as it could be. And and I really love that as a vision for liberation because I think, again, we can get really stuck in looking for the big prophet with a capital P and missing the smaller prophetic moments, the, the, the visions of what it means for us to be included in this kingdom of God um, in the everyday, because I think there are many of them. And especially right now, I think um, I've seen I've seen people recognizing the fabric by which we're connected mm -hmm. a little more deeply um, and a refusal to kind of numb out to the realities right. of what's happening. Because on the one hand, I think people are feeling the impact more 
Um, so it's kind of jarred us from that sense of self-protective, like we're safe. Um, but on the other hand, I think the response to that has also been to be like, well, if I'm worried about my safety, what about the person who's working register at the grocery store? What about the person who's a healthcare professional? Which yeah. is powerful. Yeah, and also I think moving into Holy Week, we have to learn to hold those moments of anxiety and the realities of death uh, on one hand and the celebration on the other. And the, the image that comes to mind for me was, uh, um, I went to San Salvador, to El Salvador a couple times uh, with a group called All the Shout Out. They work by Anna Montano and um, uh, Reverend Reno Ramos and others um, working to end anti-LGBTQ violence, particularly violence against trans folks there. But we went down and we went on the night and I'm drawing a blank on whether it was the night before the celebration of Romero's birthday or his assassination, but there's a big public feast day in March. And we went down and um, you go into the square across from the church where he served. And on one hand, the place is filled with people partying. Probably not, not right now, but um, it was a different time when we had those things. Um, and there's so much life. There's all these bands on the on the um, steps of the church. There's people selling food. People are laughing and dancing. And on the other side of the square was a screen that showed the image of that last mass that showed the assassination. So, like, you held this life and death intention. And so I think that's what Palm Sunday is, is this... And you can't have one without the other. We would, we would succumb to the despair of death without the celebration of life. The celebration of life without this, without the awareness of the of the true injustices and suffering that people are experiencing I mean, is also hollow, right? Um, so we we dance defiantly, you know, in the same way during these that we would go to disco and dance, or you know, the ways in which uh, there there's a really hard time during my transition. I would go on roller coasters and scream, you know, because we need that sort of exuberance of life and I think that's part of what this Palm Sunday story says to me right now is that uh, that it does sustain us to uh, for the work of liberation um, and that we that we can hold both those things in tension and if we don't maintain a balance uh, then our words will or we will succumb to despair and neither of which is what Jesus wants for us that's not at all what Jesus is modeling in these stories yeah, it is living in the in the moment, in the realities of those things, and that is liberating. I think to to recognize that. Yeah, yeah. The more the more I've been exploring it and and living into it, and I think something that I really recognized as someone who identifies as trans is the beauty of holding both, of holding the liminal, of holding both and, and really noticing in this text even that it's a donkey and a cult. Um, I was like, Jesus, you're kind of giving us a little non-binary energy of like, <laughs> I don't have to choose. I can, I can hold right. this nuance. Um, and I, I think that for the work of liberation, it's so critical that we hold that nuance, hold that both and that death and resurrection and celebration and mourning because we live in a complicated world where we need the, the kind of resilience toolkit to be fully stocked as much as we can so that we can continue to be working for the world that I think God calls us to. And maybe that's part of the spiritual gift that we offer is that we already know that things are not delineated easily into, into either ors, right? That we, that we literally embody. Um, and we have created imaginations about what could be out of that uh, non-duality. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just recognizing the time, I want to end us with one question which is um, what, Justin, we've had a great conversation. And so I'm curious, what would you be taking with you as a result of this reading and conversation? What do you want to hold for yourself over the next week? I think I, I want to, to think more about, about how do we, for ourselves, but also, you know, as public, Legends of speaking publicly to people about how do we how do we honor people's needs to celebrate right now, um, but really think of this as a time of you know how are we how are we using this time of Holy Week, of of staying in place as a spiritual preparation to to overturn the powers of God to put forward a different model of leadership of power one that that honors caring that holds life as sacred, that um, 
the, the least of the, the center of our ethical uh, and spiritual worlds uh, as service to Jesus. So what what is this, how is this time preparing us, not for that, not just being sustaining ourselves for now, but preparing us to do something differently to let that dominion of, of God into the world when we step back out into it. Mm. What about for you? It's interesting. Um, I think that for me, I'm really conscious of what habits am I making now that I can carry with me once this quarantine time is over? Because I'm very clear I don't want to go back to normal because normal wasn't working. Mm -hmm. um, normal, normal was too fast-paced, too product-focused, less mm -hmm. relationship-oriented. And so if I'm inviting myself into spiritual reflection and this kind of conversation right now, or we can just take an hour and think about a text kind of ad hoc without a ton of back prep. Um, and if that's life giving to me, how can I offer that as a space for myself and for others? Um, and I think that I'm really good at denying what's life giving for me and just working for life giving of others. But mm -hmm. I think Jesus is reminding us that he needed a celebration too. And um, we all do because I think in that invitation of like, we are all, we are all prophets. We are all part of the body of Christ. Um, and so I think my, my goal for the next week or what I'm going to take with me is finding spaces of celebration, not just for myself, but others and um, noticing the, the, the complex tension that we're holding and just offering grace for that. Um, well, Justin, thank you so much for being in this conversation with me. It's been really life-giving and wonderful. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for your presence and work in the world. And um, I know we'll keep this conversation going in other ways. Thank you so much for having me. This has been, this has been really uh, life-giving and nourishing for me as well. So I'm delighted just to connect and chat with you and glad some other folks are able to join us. So thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, y'all.